Good morning, faith family. It's good to see if you got a Bible, go 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as this morning we start a brand new series, a very short series called Movement. And the essence of this series is about uh, the fact that we here at Berean uh, want to be a part of a gospel movement. We want to be a faith family where the gospel is the primary thing, that Jesus Christ is ultimate in everything that we do. And listen, we, this is an exciting time to be a part of this faith family. I mean, I know you hear me talk about it all the time. You probably get sick of hearing it, but it's like, I am so excited about the opportunity that we have before us. We, last year, we've seen amazing growth. We had to add a service and add an overflow, and we're hearing testimonies of gospel fruit that's happening in people's lives. This is, man, I am, I am thrilled to see what God is doing among this faith family, but we want to make sure that no matter what's happening and all the change going on and different things that take place, that the gospel is the ultimate thing. That this movement of God that we're a part of is a movement centered in Jesus Christ. You with me in that? And so that's what we're going to do just for the next couple weeks is we're going to think about what does it mean to be, what does it mean to be a part of a gospel movement? And I want you to think about that word movement. It starts with this, move me. In other words, if you really want to be a part of a gospel movement, you have to get out of the way. What I mean by that is that our agenda or our preference has to be secondary and the gospel must be primary. Do you see? A gospel movement begins with move me. And that's what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. And this text this morning, friends, it is probably top three of most influential passages in my life in the way I approach ministry and why I do what I do and the way I think about the church. And so I hope this is a kind of a stake in the ground for us this morning as a faith family and it's preventative. I'm thankful that this is a very healthy time in our faith family so I don't preach this like I'm going after an issue but just to preach it over us that this would be our defining culture about being on a gospel, a part of a gospel movement. So let's look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19 and if you're able to stand I'll ask you to do so as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. God, come. Let's pray. Speak to us, Father. 
Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes to see what this is about. Cause us as a faith family to get it, to love it, to embrace it for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week was the uh, conclusion of the NFL football season. How you feel about that? I should let you know that Berean does offer counseling ministries for uh, those of you that are in mourning. But you know, if you watch the Super Bowl or if you follow football, you notice that in the days leading up to the Super Bowl, what they always do is they give you like flashbacks to great Super Bowl moments in the past. They'll begin to talk about some of the great NFL players of the past. Like, you know, you'll see things like Vince Lombardi being carried off the field or uh, Lynn Swan's catch against the Cowboys. Uh, You'll see, you know, clips of Joe Montana and the famous drive or Joe Namath as he's running off the field with his finger in the air. But they they celebrate all these kinds of things. And one, when they're talking about the greatest NFL players, one of the names that they'll often mention is arguably one of the greatest defensive players ever to play the game is a man by the name of Ronnie Lott. Now, Ronnie Lott played for the San Francisco 49ers. He's a defensive legend. But he's a legend not just because of the Pro Bowls that he went to or the Super Bowls that he played in. He's also known for something else. But in 1985, with the team on the way back to the playoffs, Watt ran into a buzzsaw. When his damaged hand muffled his attack, rather than risk missing a game, Watt had his finger chopped off, losing one digit in our number three, gutsiest performance. Excuse me just a second. What? Are you serious? That's crazy. First of all, if you have your finger cut off, for a football game and you're only third on the all-time gutsiest performers, that's a problem. I mean, like, what do you have to do to be number one? I don't even want to know. I mean, how many of you are like, that's just crazy. That's crazy. You see, seriously, Ronnie Lott had a collision where he severely dislocated his pinky and he faced two options. Option one was set out the rest of the season, have off-season surgery, or just cut it off. And he cut it off. Now why, why, why would somebody do that? Do you know what Ronnie's answer was? Why he's, his decision was just chop off part of my finger. It's team. You see, Ronnie's team had a great opportunity for the playoffs, and he said, I sacrificed it for my team. Ronnie Lott wasn't just a great football player. He was the ultimate team player. Do you know why? Because he played for something greater than himself. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul 
says of his own life and is, and is challenging these Corinthians to live like in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. You need to understand that this church had developed an insider's mentality. You know what I'm talking about? You tracking with me this morning, Berean? Like when churches begin to think about me and my religious experience and his church the way I want church to be, they started thinking about themselves and not about the people they'd been called to serve. And so they started fussing. They started fighting over who had the best spiritual gift and who was the best apostle and who should be first to eat at the Lord's table. They had an insider's mentality. And in chapter 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul addresses another issue that they are fighting over, the issue of whether or not you can eat meat. Now, that's probably never been an issue in your life. I don't know of very many churches today that are fighting over whether or not you can eat meat. Now, I don't know if you know this about me. It may shock you, but I'm actually a vegetarian. I'm not a strict vegetarian. I eat chicken and pork and beef and fish and ham and chicken and pork and beef and beef, right? No, seriously, that's not an issue that most of us have ever had to fight over. Certainly not in church, but it was in Corinth. Why? You need to know what was going on there. You see, in Corinth, there was all kinds of of pagan temples and idol worship. And what people would do when they would worship the gods and worship their idols is they would bring a sacrifice to the gods. And one of the things that they would often bring is the best cut meat. And they would offer it up, and then they were finished with their offering service. They would take it out back into the street, and they would sell it. Did you see what I did there? They took it out back. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, I apologize. And they would sell it to the people in the community. And what was happening in the Corinthian church is you had some Christians who were buying the meat and eating the meat and some Christians that were saying, you shouldn't do that. Look at chapter 8, verse 4. The first group we might call the knowledgeable or the meat eaters. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And that there is no God but one, for although there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things and for whom we exist. One Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So, so here's, here's the ultimate group, the first group, the knowledgeable. They thought this way. I believe in the one true and living God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not worshiping other idols. I'm not worshiping other gods. And I like meat. And the best choice meat at that. So I'm completely free. There's nothing in my heart that has any kind of worship to the pagan gods. I love Jesus Christ. I love meat in that order, and I'm free to eat. (laughs) But there were others that disagreed with them. Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is 
defiled. You had another group. This group had been saved out of that pagan background and they could not disassociate the meat with the idol. And so you know what they did? They took something that was right and made it wrong. They're free to eat. The apostle Paul will say so himself. It's why he calls the non-meat eaters weak. But what they said is that you shouldn't eat, and not only do I believe in my conscience that I shouldn't eat, I don't think you should eat also. You should think the way I think. Your rules should be the same as my rules. You should do church the way I think church should be done. And I'm glad you're sitting down. They started fighting. I know. The knowledgeable said, I'm free. Get out of here with your rules. The weak said, I can't believe that you would eat that. And they are fighting among themselves, and the Apostle Paul is shaking his head going, really? Now, if you have difficulty relating to the eating of meat, I'll give you some modern examples that some of you have probably dealt with in your background before, or maybe you still deal with them uh, now. Things we see now is like dress codes, Tattoos, social drinking, dancing, movies or certain movies, playing cards. Don't show your hands, but how'd you get that? That's terrible. And you, you just let me do that. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you, you know, had a background, you're like, you can't play cards because, you know, that's, the Bible says you can't or whatever, you know, it's those kinds of things. And what you tend to have is you have one group that says the Bible doesn't explicitly call that sin. I'm free to do it. The others were saved out of a tradition or background where those things were wrong or have made a personal conscious decision not to do those things and then they expect everybody to follow their rules. Oh, trust me, this isn't just way back in Corinth. And Paul answers them brilliantly. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Now concerning the food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's an awesome answer because you know what he's saying? Look right here. He's saying, there's actually something more important than freedom and more important than man-made rules. You want to know what it is? Love. And in that sense, you're both wrong. Because the knowledgeable with their freedom is not loving the weak. They're just all about what I can do and don't shut me down. And the weak is not loving the knowledgeable because they're all about maintaining their man-made religion. And Paul says, you've both forgotten the essence of the gospel, which is love. It's sacrifice for another now, by the way, in case, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, um, well, I'm not really that plugged into church, so I don't know how this is going to apply to me. Are you kidding? I bet you, you can think of a situation in your life with a relationship, a neighbor, an employee, a parent, a child, where you've made a non-essential thing a primary thing, and it's created division instead of love. 
That's exactly what Paul addresses, and here's what he says. Here's how those people who are truly in tune with the gospel, not just they believe it, but but they really see the implications of the gospel for their life, here's what they do. Chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Here's what Paul says right here. He says, I'm an apostle. You know that. You know I am. I've seen the Lord. You've seen the evidence of my ministry. I'm an apostle. And as an apostle, do I not have rights? Well, sure I do. And he's going to mention them. I have a right to food. That is my expenses paid. I have a right to family, that is to take along a believing spouse. I have a right to financial support. I mean, after all, what soldier pays their own expense? What farmer doesn't enjoy the harvest of his crops? Look at what he says in verse 11 of chapter 9. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Listen, I have rights. I have preferences. I have privileges as an apostle. But to you, Corinthians, I have not taken advantage of those rights. I have put those rights aside. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than to have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Here's what he's saying. You're fighting over whether or not you should eat meat. Look at my example. I, as an apostle, had rights and privileges and freedoms. But I put those things aside. Why? For the sake of the gospel. In other words, I would far rather get out of the way than to get in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ going forward in Corinth. Amen? This will preach. I might just preach it, you know. Man, guys, listen, I just cannot tell you how after 19, almost 19 years of vocational ministry, like, this is where I am. This is where I am. I am so, and and I hope still in a gracious and sensitive way, tired of the church games. And, 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 and I'm so thankful here because I don't feel much of that, but, but I've, I've seen it. Where they just played, the, the, the insider mentality sets in and it just becomes a, a game of playing church. And Paul says, wake up. Get over yourself and get back to the thing that matters most. And that's what he does in verses 19 through 23. And I may come unglued up here in Jesus' name. He gives them three principles that, to me, defines the essence of what we are to be about as a faith family, and it defines what it means to be a part of a gospel movement. And here's the first thing right here. Track with me the next few minutes is this. You must be clear about the mission. Don't forget the mission that God has called you to. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. 
In fact, he says this similar thing five times, again in verse 20, in order to win the Jews, that I might win those under the law, last part of verse 21, that I might win those outside the law, last part of verse 22, that by all means I might save some. Do you know why I sacrificed the way I sacrificed, Paul says? Do you know why I've given up my rights? It's for one simple mission. I want to see people one to Jesus Christ. Brian, do you want to know what drives me in this thing and what, what as lead pastor we're going to lead this faith family to in the future is to be passionate about seeing our lives, our community, and our world transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do, and that's what we're about. Paul says, I'm willing to sacrifice secondary issues for the primary issue, which is seeing people one for Jesus. We, we, we can't forget that. And when a church becomes insider, they forget that. Because it's all about my experience. But we're not here. Hear me. And I say this with all graciousness and love. We're not here to get the kind of church we want with the preferences we have so that we can enjoy a comfortable religious experience. If you're a Christian and you're here, you're here to sacrifice yourself in any way that you can to see the gospel movement move forward. And that means move me. It's a, it's a well-told story. Uh, Max Okada gives it about uh, a time in his life when he was looking forward with his family to go on vacation on a fishing trip. How many of you, you know, you go up north and you go on a fishing trip or do, you know, you, you, you experience that excitement of taking vacation. And he was so looking forward to this fishing trip and the family gets ready, they get everything packed up and they go, they travel, they get all their camper gear set up and, and then the day they get there, it storms. Has that ever happened to you? And instead of going fishing, instead they stay inside and play cards. That is if you're allowed to play cards, all right? <laughs> I'm kidding. And so they're, but they're stuck inside. And then day two, it storms even more. And he says, I begin to notice that personality started to clash. And then in day three, the storm was even worse. In fact, that his dad got so upset, he said, we're going home, and they packed up and they left. And here's what he writes about that experience. It's so good. He said, I learned a lesson that week, not about fishing, but people. When those called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending a helping hand, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. The result, church scrooges, bah humbug spirituality, split churches, poor testimonies, broken hearts, legalistic wars while the poor goes unfed, Confused goes uncounseled, lost goes unreached. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When you forget your mission, when you forget your purpose, and you get distracted on secondary things, you fuss. 
And, and can I just say this, and, and you don't need to amen if you're in my generation or younger, but I'm telling you it's why my generation in terms of the church at large has looked at the church and said, no thanks. No thanks. If you're just going to play games, I'll play games somewhere else. Berean, this, we will not compromise the mission of seeing the gospel move forward in our lives, our community, and our world. You with me? So that's the first thing. We're going to be clear about our mission. And number two is we will not compromise the message. We are convicted about the message that God has given us. I take this from verse 23. I do it all, that is all this sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. Paul will not for a second compromise the gospel. Nobody gets more upset than the Apostle Paul when you start playing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll give you two examples, the first of which is probably PG-13 in the Philippian church. The Philippian church was being influenced by a group known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers believed that to be right with God, you needed faith in Jesus and circumcision. It's faith and something else. And do you know what Paul says? I hope the knife slips. I'm not making that up. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. You don't add anything to the gospel. One more example, Galatians chapter 1. He says, if anybody comes to you with another gospel, let them be accursed. That's strong language, folks. So when we get into this stuff and we're talking flex and sacrifice and being willing to meet others where there are, we are not talking about watering down the gospel for a moment. And I told you on day one when I got here, I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that hasn't changed. And by the grace of God, it won't. Because, and I know you're going to think, he went to seminary for this. How are you going to be a part of a gospel movement if you don't have the true gospel? So we will be clear about the mission. And we will be convicted about the message uncompromisingly. But when it comes to our methods, we'll compromise. Notice what he says. To the Jews, I'll become as a Jew. To those under the law, as one under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I'll become as one outside the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I'll become weak, that I might win the weak. What's he saying? Now, now before you misunderstand what I am saying about the word compromise, because sometimes we're, we get a little uncomfortable with that word, Paul's not talking about compromising in terms of personal sin. He's not saying, well, you know, to the drunk, I'll become drunk. And to the thief, I'll become a thief. No, I'm still under the law of God, the law of Christ. This isn't a compromise in message or a compromise in sin. It's a compromise in methods. I don't belong to anybody. Do you find it interesting that the Apostle Paul says to the Jew, I'll become a Jew? Anybody find that problematic? 
He's a Jew. That's like me saying, you know, to the Americans, I'll become an American. What? What's Paul saying? I'm not a Jew anymore, ultimately, in this sense. I'm not under the old covenant. I'm under the new covenant. I'm not under those rules. I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled those things, and now I'm in Him. So I'm not a Jewish Christian, and I'm not a Gentile Christian. I'm a Christian. That's my identity. The Jews don't own Him. The Gentiles don't own Him. The Baptists don't own Him. The Methodists don't own Him. The Presbyterians don't own Him. The old people don't own Him. The young people don't own Him. Jesus owns Him, and that's why He's free. And it's taken me years to get here, to really be free, to not have to fit somebody else's tradition and to just be about Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with the tradition and there's nothing wrong with your preferences and there's nothing wrong with your rights. They're just not more important than Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. So what does this look like, you know, say in my life? Well, if I'm with an Orthodox Jew, I don't order barbecue. When I go home to visit my family in Tennessee, I eat the whole sneaking pig. If I'm with certain groups of Baptists that are anti-alcohol, I don't drink. If I'm with the Lutherans, I can't promise you anything. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. I can't wait to get that email. Bring it on. Bring it on. The point is, I don't care if you eat meat or not. I don't care if you sing out of a hymn book or off a screen, if you have an organ or a drum, if you sit in pews or chairs, if your church building has a steeple or it's a bowling alley. I don't care if you have a tattoo of Elvis in places the sun don't shine. Why? It's not a gospel issue. And if you think a good Christian is someone who has your freedom or judges based on your rules, you're not a slave to Christ, you're a slave to yourself. And so Paul says, move me. I want to be a part of a gospel movement, so move me. To the point that I don't belong to anything other than Jesus. And when that happens, then I'm free because I don't belong to anyone. Then I'm free to serve everyone. And isn't that what he says? See, the Apostle Paul is not flexing in non-biblical issues or things that aren't addressed in Scripture. He's flexing on those issues not to be cool and hip. He's doing it so that people will be one to Jesus. In other words, he's doing what a missionary does. What would you think of a missionary who went to another culture and said, I'm not going to learn the language. I'm not going to learn their customs. I'm not going to learn how to relate to them at all. I'm just going to do my own thing. You'd say, you won't be effective for the gospel at all. Why? A missionary knows this. You sacrifice in the non-essential things for the sake of the most important thing, namely the gospel. 
Now, I've clearly defined what that is and what that isn't. That's not sin. That's not biblical truth. It is things that are secondary issues. But here's the point. All eyes right here. A missionary is not just a vocational person who's called to go to another country. A missionary is everybody who has surrendered to Jesus Christ. You see, it's because I don't belong to anybody that I can, I'm free to serve everybody. So, here's the painful question. And there's no hidden agenda here. Like, I'm not holding something behind my back that two weeks from now I'm going to go, gotcha. No. What would you give up? What non-essential church things would you give up? Or you'd let change. Would it be your dress code? Would it be your music preference? Would it be your classroom? Would it be your political views? You have the right to have rights. What you don't have the right is to put that before the ministry of the gospel. Because it is, hear me, it is sin to change the message. But it is also sin to be unwilling to change the methods if that allows you to reach more people because your unwillingness to change the methods means you're more about your advancement than the gospel's. And I just, we don't even have time for me to unpack to you the ways in my life that God has had to teach me to flex for the sake of Him. It's why, by the way, and we don't have a lot of time for this, but in the end of chapter 9, Paul's going to say this. He's going to use the analogy of an athlete to say, you know what athletes do? You know what they have? They have self-control. Do you know why? Because they got a prize in their mind. And there probably comes that point 30 minutes before the race where they're thinking, boy, that chocolate shake sure would taste good right about now. But what do they do? They say no to desires to get the prize. And Paul says, if worldly athletes will do that for a physical wreath, how much more those who are running for an eternal crown? I don't belong to anybody so that I'm then free to serve everybody. And then here's how he ends and we close with this. And in doing so, I image somebody. In doing so, I'm becoming like somebody. Verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. That's a good translation, but here's how it literally would read in the Greek. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in it. Huh? Right here, right here, right here. Paul saying, I'm doing all this sacrifice for the sake of the gospel that I might participate with them in the gospel. What do you mean? What I mean is, I don't just believe the gospel doctrinally. I have seen that the gospel has implications for how I live. 
What is the gospel? The gospel is about the one who is God, who is in the heavenly places, enjoying the fellowship of the Trinity, worshipped by angelic beings, who put aside those rights, Philippians 2, to come to a fallen, broken world and identify with sinners by dying a substitutionary death for them on the cross, rising again the third day, being seated at the right hand of God, offering eternal life to those who would repent and believe. In other words, Paul is saying, when I sacrifice even in small ways, I am participating in that. I don't just say I believe that. I'm actually participating in that. Paul is saying to a church with an insider mentality, wanting to live for self instead of sacrifice, he's asking this question, all eyes right here. What if Jesus would have been unwilling to say to the human, I'll become a human? The answer is we would be eternally separated from God. No one was more willing to give up their rights than the one we call Savior. And friends, much more than a guy who's willing to cut off a finger for a football game, we are followers of a man who lost his life for us all. And so the question is, in light of his sacrifice... Do you really think it matters whether you eat meat or not? Let's pray. Our prayer this series is move me. Move me. To be a part of a gospel movement means move me. So God, I ask this morning for that one in this service who has never been moved to the point of repentance and faith in Jesus. God, would you do that now? Would you, by your grace, transform a life this morning? God, I pray for that one, that that Christian who's maybe been a Christian for a long time and they've become so absorbed in self Would you move them? Would our prayer be, He must become greater, I must become less? Move me. Whatever that looks like, however that gives lived out in our lives, God, would you reveal it to us now by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.